I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. Traditional antibody discovery depends, in part, on a bit of good fortune that banks on the hopes that either screening antibody libraries or exposing an organism to an antigen will result in the discovery of a compelling therapy. Yanai Ofren, CEO of Biologic Designs, says the problem with this approach is that it ignores many of the performance-related aspects of an antibody beyond its ability to bind to a target. His company's AI platform for antibody discovery seeks to capitalize on the full capabilities of antibodies to develop smarter therapies that can serve as molecular switches and act conditionally. We spoke to Ofren about Biologic's platform technology, how it mimics the way the immune system makes antibodies, and why its approach will lead to smarter therapies. Yanai, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Daniel. We're going to talk about antibody discovery, biologics, computational approach, and how using your AI platform can design new capabilities and create smart therapies. Perhaps we can begin with antibody discovery. How is this traditionally done? So antibody discovery in general today is based on hoping that you randomly stumble upon the right antibody. What do I mean by that? I mean that most of the platforms for uh, discovery, for retrieving an antibody for clinical development, are based either on screening of libraries or selection on libraries of antibodies, or on immunizing an animal, hoping that the animal will come up with the antibody that, that does what we want. Um, the thing is that these are uh, these platforms have been optimized over the years, and they are very successful at getting binders. And binders are definitely a prerequisite for a drug. The drug has to bind the target, of course. But something about an antibody that this approach misses is the fact, the almost trivial fact, that antibodies are proteins. Proteins are clever nanomachines. They can execute sophisticated programs that are encoded in them. They can activate certain things. They can do one thing under one circumstances and a completely different thing under other circumstances. Obviously, they need to bind, by, but they can do so much more. The sad fact is that the pharma world today is not using all these things that antibodies can do. We are using, not we, but the biotech world is using antibodies very much like small molecules that happen to be bigger. And this is something we are addressing with our new technology. I take it part of the problem is even if you bind to the protein, you're not necessarily altering function. 
Exactly. So in order to alter function, you need to bind precisely in the right place under the right condition. And not just that. Sometimes you want to have a certain function in one tissue, but to have a completely another function in another tissue. Or you want to have a function only if a certain metabolite goes up or um, only if the patient is doing one thing and not another. These are all things that proteins do in biology. But just by finding tight binders, you will never be able to do them. So we are using our AI platform in order to unlock the capability inherent in antibodies to have a dynamic function, to be active, to agonize, to activate, to execute conditional functions. These are all things that you are highly, highly unlikely to stumble upon randomly by picking up a tight binder and checking maybe you are lucky enough to get a smart nanomachine that execute a sophisticated program. With AI design, we can design the antibodies to do these things. How does your AI platform work? So the way our AI platform works at, at a very basic level is uh, very similar to what you see in, in every other AI platform. The idea is that we want to design a certain antibody that um, fits exactly to the site we want to attack or to activate or to antagonize. And to do this, we basically train our models, our machine learning models, on billions and billions of antibodies under different conditions. And what our platform allows us to do is to, at the end of the day, at the end of a, a very long process, computationally identify a sequence of an antibody that will do what we want and will still be a sequence of a human antibody that is stable with high yields and with no uh, immunogenicity and no cross-reactivity. Why do I say at the end of a long process? Because something that is very critical to our platform is that the platform has two steps. The first step is not predicting which sequence of antibody will do what we want, but telling us which experiments we need to run in order to generate the data that we can use for training a new model just for this project that will give us the antibody we want. So basically, there are two steps. The first step is we define the problem to our AI system. And after this step, the AI system says, okay, in order to solve this problem, I need more data. And here is the data I need. I need you to run this experiment and that experiment and this measurement and that measurement. And we get from the system about a billion different experiments that we need to run. We go to the lab and spend a few months running these experiments. And we feed the results of these experiments back into the AI system. And based on these new data, the AI system is training a new model just for this project and tells us which sequences of antibodies are likely to do what we want them to do. Does this make sense? Yes. It makes sense in terms of getting to maybe uh, 
a better choice of antibody, but to what extent can you then build functions or intelligence and, and turn these into smart antibodies? Wonderful question. So let me give you an example. Actually, I think an example will tell the story in an interesting way. Let's say that there is an anti-inflammatory cytokine, a cytokine that is normally produced by the antibody, by the body. And uh, this cytokine can actually um, quell or inhibit or stop inflammation. And let's say that there is another cytokine that is made by the immune system normally, a pro-inflammatory cytokine. So we have in our immune system signals that say stop the inflammation and signal that say activate the inflammation. Now let's say that we want an antibody that can bring anti-inflammatory cytokine to an environment where there is an inflammation and take out or inactivate the pro-inflammatory one. So we have uh, an on signal inside the inflammation and we have off signals elsewhere away from the inflamed environment. So let's say that we want an antibody that bring anti-inflammatory cytokines to the inflamed environment and inactivate the pro-inflammatory one. If we can come up with an antibody that has one binding site in which it can bind either the pro-inflammatory or the anti-inflammatory cytokine, then this antibody when in the periphery, will mop up the anti-inflammatory and bring it into the inflamed environment. And in the inflamed environment, it will release the pro-inflammatory, the anti-inflammatory cytokine, and will bind the pro-inflammatory cytokine and inactivate. So if we can design one antibody that can bind both the pro-inflammatory and the anti-inflammatory cytokine, we can come up with an antibody that knows what to do inside the inflamed environment and know what to do outside on the of the inflamed environment. And in that sense, it's a smart antibody, meaning it adjusts its activity to the environment in which it is acting now. Biologic is focusing on diseases that involve the immune system. Obviously, there's a much broader set of uses for antibodies, why the decision to focus on immune-related conditions? That's a great question. So one, one thing we decided to do very early on is to try and switch the logic of biotech, in a sense. So most biotech companies say something like this. They say, you know, we tried to uh, solve some clinical problem based on old biology, and it didn't work out. So let's try and solve it with new biology. Let's look for a new target and attack this new biology with the same technology, with the same antibodies, with the same uh, approach. We tried to attack the old biology, and maybe it will work out. So the traditional view is new biology, old technology. Sometimes it works. But most often, the new biology turns out to be more complex than we initially thought. 
And the old technology is the old technology. What we're saying is the reverse. Let's look for old biology, meaning pathways and targets we understand very thoroughly. And try to solve the problem not with new biology, but with better technology. Let's try to activate or inhibit or do what needs to be done to the well-known pathways with smarter antibodies. So instead of looking for new biology and attacking it with old technology, we are focusing on old biology and attacking it with new technology. And in this sense, we thought that the immune system is a wonderful place to look for validated targets where there is still an unmet need and the problem is not fully solved using traditional antibodies. And indeed, many of our programs are based on validated targets where there is already a drug in the market, but the drug hits some ceiling of efficacy or safety or both. And we're trying to solve it with smarter antibodies that widen the therapeutic index and give more efficacy with less toxicity. One of the challenges for companies with powerful discovery engines is the business model and the extent to which you rely on partnering compared to developing your own therapies and how to generate value while balancing resource constraints. I, I want to talk to you about some of the recent deals Biologic Design has done, but how do you think about your business model and the extent to which you'll pursue your own therapies versus partnering? So, you know, you look at, at companies uh, uh, during the years that came up with new technologies, and some of them uh, thought that the best way to capture the value that is created by their te technology is by providing services to big pharma. In most cases, these companies eventually turn to developing their own programs after trying to build themselves solely on partnerships and services. Um, there are, of course, some exceptions to this, but this is the rule in general. Companies that came up with brilliant technologies often ended up, after doing a long tour of trying to provide services, ended up developing their own drugs uh, and became uh, drug developers. And I think the reason is that um, the timeline for success if you provide services, particularly if you have a technology for discovery, are such that you partner for a small sum early on. And then if you're lucky, in 10 years or so, your drug hits the market. This is a long time to sit and wait for value to build up. And this is also a long time for many things to go wrong. Uh, with a partnership, with the priorities of the pharma you're working with, and so forth. So we thought that a better way to capture value is to work predominantly on our own program. There is another reason why we thought that we should focus on our own program. And that is, we are working on a technology that does things that many people believe are impossible. You know, I described antibodies that bring one cytokine from one tissue to another, or antibodies that can antagonize 
one target in one tissue and then agonize another target in another tissue. Antibodies that execute if-then commands, um, antibodies with conditional activities, all these things are things that typically traditional drug developers don't consider possible. And they're not within the realm of the strategy of traditional drug developers. So if we wanted to extract the maximum value of our technology, we had only two ways, either to come up with the most creative ideas we have and then pursue them on our own, or to try and change the way most drug developers think and convince them that they should work with us. I think the former is much easier than the latter. Given those limitations of partnering, how do you think about the structuring of those deals and the selection of who you'll partner with? Great question. So after this long, long uh, uh, speech that I gave about why we prefer to work on our own pipeline, we do form some partnerships with pharma. Um, so why do we do this and how do we structure this? So I, I explained before that for our own pipeline, we want to focus on validated targets. Um, however, our platform is relevant for any target, validated or not validated. Also, as we mentioned before, for our own pipeline, we focus on the control of the immune system, either in um, autoimmune diseases or in immuno-oncology. But our technology is relevant also for other diseases that are not immuno-oncology, that are not cancer, that are not autoimmune diseases. So in some cases where we think our technology can make a big difference for a target or a pathway that does not fall into the strategy of our own pipeline, in these cases, we will consider partnerships. And the partnerships we build are partnerships that we attempt to design as strategic partnerships. And what do I mean by that? We want a partnership where the program sits at a very important area for the partner, solves a big problem for the partner in terms of their uh, um, commercial and strategic plan, and hence is endorsed and is given a priority by the senior management of the company. So we look for such partnerships where we believe there is a greater chance that the partner will follow the uh, program through if the design is successful. And then we build the structure of the deal such that the deal gives us um, non-equity, non-dilutive cash upfront that allows us to not just run that program, but also gives us some additional flexibility and gives us an upside down the road as our program progresses. These deals also allow us to establish ourselves as a technology uh, in other areas and it's a wonderful way to acquaint people with our capabilities. One of the more interesting you, deals you did was one that falls outside of the conventional pharma collaboration. This is a deal you announced with the venture capital firm ATP to create Aulis Bioscience to 
develop IL-2 targeting antibodies to treat cancer. How did that deal come about and what was the thinking behind it? Great question. So uh, the deal is around an amazing antibody, if I may say so myself. Um, and actually, this antibody is now in the clinic, and it's the first time in history that an AI-designed, a computationally designed antibody is entering the clinic. And that's it, for us, it's an amazing opportunity to validate the technology because it's the first time that something was that was designed uh, pretty much from scratch on the computer an antibody that was designed this way is in real patients. And we now took it through CMC and TOX and primates and into humans. And that's uh, a validation that the type of antibodies we generate, the type of antibody that emerge from our platform, behave like drugs, are safe to the extent that we uh, um, were able to say it based on primates um, and is progressing in the clinic. Um, we partnered this antibody with ATPs of venture capital because uh, um, you know our platform generates many antibodies um, and each of them has its own story and uh, having multiple antibodies that we design give us some flexibility with how we want to pursue and continue with each of them. And for, for this particular program, it made a lot of sense to work with Apple Tree Partners. They put together with us an amazing team uh, to create Alus Bioscience, a company that is um, um, operating from San Francisco with uh, a very experienced and very talented team of drug developers. Um, and it actually uh, it is a program that could be a paradigm shift in not just in IL-2 based treatment, but in immuno-oncology in general. It's, it's uh, an antibody that instead of attacking the cancer or even instead of attacking or targeting immune cells, it's an antibody that targets an endogenous cytokine. So we're basically hijacking the communication between immune cells and uh, making sure that every time immune cells want to communicate with each other, we are interfering in this message and we are telling certain cells to remain quiet while we tell other cells to attack the cancer. And this is, again, something that you can only do with a smart antibody that can have a conditional function sometimes to some cells. It, say, it says remain quiet and to other cells, it can say, go on the attack. What is biologics' role in Aulis, and, and how might its stake differ from a, a typical stake it would have in molecules it licenses to other companies? So uh, we are co-founders of Aulis together with Apple Tree Partners. Um, we provided the antibodies. Apple Tree provided uh, their expertise, experience, and ob obviously the required cash. And uh, we um, basically started the company and helped recruit the clinical development. We are involved in uh, running the experiment. We are still in charge of, of anything that is preclinical and everything that requires more 
lab work and analysis of uh, the antibody. And obviously, the structure of uh, getting an upside from this program is very different because we are significant shareholders in the company. In April, Alice announced it would enter human clinical trials with AU007. This is expected to be, as you mentioned, the first computationally designed antibody used in humans. What is AU007 and how does it work? So first of all, uh, I think we can say now it's not expected to be uh, the first antibody, the first computationally designed antibody in humans. It is the first computationally designed antibody in humans because we started dosing. Um, and what this antibody basically does is um, to change the paradigm around cytokines in immune oncology. So cytokines, as we mentioned before, are the signals that serve for communication between immune cells. Um, IL-2 itself is a double-edged sword. It can activate the immune system, and it can also inhibit the immune system. Now, it is known for many years that if you use IL-2 to activate the immune system, it can attack or lead the immune system to attack tumors and sometimes even eradicate tumors. But since IL-2 is a double-edged sword, it's very hard to control it in a way that will activate the immune system without inhibiting it and without, without causing a lot of toxicity. So high dose of IL-2 can lead to pulmonary edema, to blood vessel um, um, leakage, uh, many symptoms that are associated with cytokine storms. Um, and that has been the challenge for many years. What people tried to do before us is to give patients modified IL-2, engineered IL-2 that is changed in a way that allows this administered exogenous IL-2 only to send the immune system to the attack and never to stop it. This, on the face of it, is a, is a very nice idea, but it has an inherent challenge because if you activate the immune system against the tumor, what the activated immune cells do is to secrete IL-2. And the IL-2 that these activated cells secrete is not modified. So if your drug, your modified IL-2 is successful, it leads to the increase of endogenous IL-2, which inevitably, inevitably undermines the success of your own drug. So the existing approaches that are based on modified and engineered and uh, fusion versions of IL-2, which is all the other IL-2 treatments, inherently and immediately create a negative feedback loop that undermines their own success. Because they ignore endogenous IL-2, what we do is to give an antibody, an antibody that can grab endogenous IL-2 and make the endogenous IL-2 do what we want. So instead of giving modified IL-2, we are controlling the endogenous IL-2. 
if we're successful and we expand the cells that attack the tumors, these cells will secrete more IL-2. But if we have enough antibody in the system, we will grab this new IL-2 as well and we'll send it again to the attack. So instead of having the negative feedback loop that led to the failure of some of the existing modified IL-2 therapies, our approach will actually create a positive feedback loop that may enhance the effect rather than dial it down. Is the expectation that this would be used as a monotherapy or would it be used in combination with other agents? We want to see first that um, the uh, treatment that is based on our antibody on its own is uh, having the right effect. We want to see clear PD and hopefully efficacy on the drug, of the drug on its own. Once this is established, we may also explore the possibility of combining it, but we believe that we have a good chance of seeing strong effects, at least in some patients, and maybe in many of them, uh, of the antibody on its own as a first step. I want to ask you about two partnerships that were announced both in 2021. The first is a deal you announced in February of 2021 with Nectar Therapeutics to discover and develop antibodies that can activate a previously undruggable target for an undisclosed autoimmune disease. The financial terms were not disclosed. How can your technology go after targets that have been considered undruggable? So this goes back to what we described before. When people want to have a certain effect for their drug, for example, they want to agonize. Agonize means to activate a certain target. The only way that traditional approaches can do this is by looking for binders, because that's what all discovery technologies do. They look for binders. And then take the binders one by one and check whether they ha happen to be agonists, whether they happen to activate the target. This is very tedious and in most cases fail. So in that sense, the target was not addressable with existing technologies because people were able to get binders, but they were unable to get agonists. And in fact, for this target, it was also very difficult to get antagonists because the target has a very specific mechanism of action. You can bind it, but think of it like a very sophisticated machine. If you just randomly put your finger on a sophisticated machine and hope that it will turn on or off, it will never happen. You have to put your finger on the on button to get it on and on the off button to get it off, no matter how big the machine is, right? If you just try to shove your key into random places in your car and hope that it will start the car, it will not work. You need to put the key exactly in the switch. What our technology allows us to do is to design a key that goes right to the switch, so to speak. So while other people get things that stick and hope that one of them happen miraculously to be a key that fits exactly to the lock that they want to activate, 
we have the ability to understand where we need to bind and how we need to bind and then to computationally design such binding. In the case of that collaboration, we were able to illustrate that we can design an antibody that actually activates this target, which uh, we think no one else were able to show before, even though many, many people tried. So that's another illustration of what you can do with the right computational design that is based on the right data. Getting the agonism you want, getting the exact activity you want based on, on this design. The other deal you announced was the collaborations and license agreement with Lilly for a multi-specific antibody for diabetes. What are the terms of that agreement and what does it do for biologic? So this is another example where um, putting together the heads of our scientists together with the heads of creative scientists inside pharma companies can lead to amazing collaboration. Here, um, Lily was interested in a technology that we call multibodies. Multibodies are antibodies that are standard human symmetrical antibodies. If you give these antibodies to any antibody experts, to any um, immunologist, they will tell you, you know, this is just a standard, regular human antibody. But the way we design these multibodies is that they can bind more than one thing depending on the situation and the condition. So they can bind under some circumstances, they can bind A, and under other circumstances, they will bind B. And this allows you to have what we call uh, an OR gate uh, switch that does either this or that um, and inherently can uh, execute sophisticated commands. And when uh, our friends and partners in, in Lilly realized what this technology can do, um, we came up with an idea for a very unusual way to treat diabetes. And that's what um, we are working on together with them. And the structure there was that uh, um, obviously biologic gets uh, um, a significant upfront, and then milestones and royalties, and uh, I mean royalties if and when this uh, um, has to get to the clinic and to sale. Uh, but in this sense, it's, it's a traditional structure with uh, milestones that uh, can have, uh, can build up to nine digits and uh, royalties on top of that. And how is the company financed and how far will existing funding take you? So uh, actually, something that is quite unusual about biologic design is that, you know, we are a company that is about 10, 10 years old. We started uh, kind of like from the garage of my lab when I was still a professor. And then with uh, time and success, we grew out of the university. I took a leave of absence that is now... Uh, so long that I don't know if uh, it will be easy to go back to academia ever, but um, it started off that way and we grew and we now have uh, um, about 60 people in Israel and in Boston. But we did it with very little 
equity investment. Actually, we raised less than 30 million in um, dilutive investment so far uh, for a company company that uh, sent one computationally designed drug to the clinic has multiple deals with pharma, over 60 people in two continents. This is a very small sum. Um, and the reason we were able to do so much with so little is that we had many deals along the way um, and we got um, a lot of non-dilutive cash. So in this sense, uh, we have some flexibility and this is important, particularly in the context of of the long and gloomy winter we see in the markets nowadays where even uh, um, the most bold investors sit on their hands to see what happens. So we, we still have the flexibility of uh, striking more deals and supporting ourselves that way. Um, but we are now seeking for, for more funding to take additional programs into the clinic, uh, we just have the flexibility of doing it in different ways. Yanai Ofren, CEO of Biologic Designs. Yanai, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, Subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.